we needed to computerize. There's just no way we were going to be able to grow this mail order business for the future if we didn't computerize and computerize now. And we're talking early 1980s here. This is a time when uh, going to Best Buy and buying a PC just wasn't possible. There was no such thing. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast brought to you by CCB Technology. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and this is the podcast where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. So join me as I work to figure this leadership thing out on purpose. This interview is with Eric Olison. He is the third generation owner of a bakery local to southeastern Wisconsin, but with a reach that goes international. So I wanted to know how in the world did you go from one oven to an international reach? landing Trader Joe's as their largest wholesale customer and not lose your identity, your culture, or the quality of your product along the way, which I think is applicable no matter what industry you're in. So you're going to like this interview. It's got a ton of tradition, and it also explains what a Kringle is. These pastries on their highest volume day, O&H, ships out 20,000 units per day. And on their highest volume retail day, sells, moves out of the store, 10,000 units per day. This is not just your mom and pop donut shop, but it is local to southeastern Wisconsin. I'm grateful for his time. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to unveil who is the winner of the iPad Pro giveaway. So stick with it. And now here it is, my interview with Eric Olison of O&H Danish Bakery. All right, so Eric, thank you so much. To kick this off, especially for the folks that are non-local that listen in, uh, could you give a little background on who you are and your role within ONH? Sure, sure. First of all, thank you, Steve, for inviting me here today. Uh, CCB is a, another great company in town. We have many in Racine, family-owned businesses, and I'm quite proud of that. Um, having owned a family-owned business myself, uh, ONH Danish Bakery. Uh, our business was started in 1949 by my grandfather. My grandpa ha- was a Danish immigrant, and uh, he immigrated as a teenager to Racine. Um, one of his first jobs was on a farm. Um, the second job was in a bakery, and uh, he learned uh, the art of baking from other Danish bakers that had already uh, uh, opened up bakeries here in Racine. And for 25 years, he worked in bakeries in Racine, and uh, then in 1949, uh, he opened up O&H, Danish Bakery, with a partner. That's why there's two letters, O&H. Okay. My last name's Olison. My grandfather's uh, name was Christian Olison. And uh, so Chris had a, a friend um, who became a partner, Harvey Holtz, O&H, Olison and Holtz. And uh, that's how O&H started. What is the reach of O&H now? Humble beginnings, 1949, um, maybe employees, locations, distribution, things like that. What, what does it look like for you guys? Sure, yeah. The O&H of today is uh, it's really international in reach, uh, mostly here in the United States. Um, and we have uh, three ways that we reach, reach our customers. Um, one is at our retail level where we have customers walking in our door. You know, Racine is where O&H started. Uh, to this day, we uh, continue to have retail bakeries in the area. We have five stores now. Um, and then uh, we also started mail order of our Kringle and now many other products. Um, that was started in the 1960s, early 1960s, and now um, that's actually the largest part of our business. So we're shipping Kringle and other bakery products all over the country, 
uh, every day, almost every day of the week, and uh, certainly, um, um, especially during the holidays in the uh, November, December time frame, we uh, ship a lot of product. Mm-hmm. And uh, that makes us uh, international in scope because quite literally people order from all over uh, the world and uh, ship it all over the world. But most of that is done here in the United States. And the third aspect of our business is a, um, a wholesale side of the business, which uh, uh, depending on how you define wholesale, it's um, it's been for about 20 years. We've been wholesaling uh, uh, mostly Kringle, and um, and that's about uh, maybe about 10% of our business or so. Okay, so um, I'm familiar, so I'm trying to zoom out because we grew up with this stuff. So how do you describe what a Kringle is to people that aren't familiar with one? That's a great question, Steve. You know, Kringle, we talk about it like it's just a fabric of our, our being here mm-hmm. in Racine. Well, it is. And... Uh, but many people, they don't know Racine. They don't know Kringle. Right. And, uh, yeah. So Kringle is a Danish pastry. I'm Danish. My grandfather was Danish. Um, and there were a lot of Danish bakeries in Racine for many years. And there's still more than half of the bakeries in Racine are Danish bakeries. And uh, so this pastry uh, called a Kringle was uh, made by the Danish bakeries. Um, it's a, I would describe it as a, a light, tender, flaky pastry with filling in every bite and um, it's oval in shape, um, and it's very synonymous with Racine, and I'll tell you why. The Racine Danish bakers, uh, are, they don't have a monopoly on these Kringle. Kringle were first made in Denmark. Uh, the art of making Kringle um, and uh, making it for customers has been brought by many different Danish bakers to um, different parts of the world, including Racine. And um, it was uh, originally a little different shape and format than, than the Kringle that we know of here in Racine. And specifically what I mean is um, the uh, Kringle was originally a pretzel shape and it had an almond filling, uh, maybe some addition of currants or raisins uh, to that almond filling, and then a granulated sugar topping. Fast forward to today, um, and actually since probably about the 1950s, uh, in Racine here, that Kringle has turned into a uh, much preferred oval shape and a much preferred variety of different flavors and a much preferred icing on top instead of the sugar. So that is kind of the Racine influence or metamorphosis, you could say, of Kringle. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really because of the Racine residents and the bakers of Racine listening to their customers uh, that uh, Kringle evolved into what it is today here in Racine. I didn't know any of that, actually, with the background. How many flavors are there? I mean, I know it changes because yeah. they, they you guys keep adding some. So how many flavors of Kringle That's are there? That's true. Uh, on, on a typical day, we're selling 15 to 18 flavors of Kringle a day. and uh, uh, But certainly we make many different kinds and different times of the year uh, or to celebrate different occasions, uh, things of that nature. Um, I kind of chuckle at, um, you know, at O&H, we typically don't really have a Kringle for display uh, where customers can walk in and see what their Kringle is. It's packaged and ready to go on these shelves for people to take very quickly and uh, efficiently. Um, And we do it that way because people nowadays want efficiency and quickness. And so we have these wrapped and freshly wrapped and ready to go. And and it's not uncommon to see people... um, you know, taking two, three, four, six, eight, ten uh, Kringle, and sometimes on the phone talking to their significant other or, or associate, saying, "Hey, I'm standing in front of the O&H uh, Kringle stand here, and uh, and what kind of what flavors do you want?" Yep, so yep. then it becomes, "What's your favorite?" and "What's the trend?" 
I've been there. Uh, you're a part of our uh, our Christmas traditions. You're a part of our people coming home tradition. And um, yeah, you don't want to mess that up. And so you might as well buy three or four or five of them just so people know. So we are living in a world where variety is the spice of life. And Kringle and other bakery items, food gifts are exponentially great because yeah. people really remember a food gift, yeah. especially when it's a Kringle. You're local, but again, like economies of scale. I don't, I don't know if people understand how much you guys are doing yeah. and how you have to keep up with that. Holidays are days when uh, the bakery, the retail bakery gets busier. The seasonality always exists, especially uh, for big holidays like uh, Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And there you're scaling up. Every business that's in a bake, every bakery business has to be able to scale to some degree in order mm-hmm. to meet that demand. Scaling means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I think what we're talking about is how do you ramp up? How yep. do you produce that much yep. when you need to? And um, and then more importantly for, for me, whether you're making um, two of something to sell that day or 2,000 of something to sell that day, how do you make sure everyone is good? Yep. And, and the focus, there's so much focus on how do we maintain consistency? Because uh, I'm a believer, and I learned this from my father, you know, just about just about most everybody can make, and I don't necessarily mean business, but I mean even in your home, if you're baking or cooking, you can you can hit it well and do it well, and you've, you've done a great job on that particular item or something. The next time you make it, it's like, what was, this isn't even like the last time I made it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's not easy to make something the same and and uh, every day. And so we focus a lot on that at O&H because, um, you know, if we're going to make something, we're going to make it well every day. We're going to make it well. So every slice of it is is really good. And um, uh, so that we can be proud of it. I, a word I, or a phrase that I use for our employees oftentimes over and over is, you know, when they're working hard at, uh, at making sure they're doing a good job, I just remind them, I said, make sure the one you're working on every moment is the one you're going to serve to your grandma. And you're proud of it mm. and because you have to be focused every time to make sure it's as good as it can be. And and we're not talking about making one better than another because it's going to go to ground. We're making sure every single one of them is going to be perfectly balanced. Uh, when, you, when you're in business, uh, you work hard for the trust of your customers and, um, and you've earned their trust just by them walking in the store and you've really earned their trust by them coming back and... Um, and it's working hard to achieve that experience for the customer every time. That leads to more business. If you're going to get busier, you've got to be able to scale or, or increase your ability to take orders, your ability to make the orders, your ability to serve the customer, uh, and ability to uh, you know take care of uh, anything that might occur along the way that's going to prevent that from happening. Because you know it, life is unpredictable. It's how you handle yourself when mistakes are made. I think to find really the kind of person the kind of business that you are so when i uh when i first started baking at onh um, um we had one oven now we have i think uh, nine or ten ovens and um but you know the philosophy is the same the product's still the same what we do at in baking the craft of baking it hasn't changed and that's one of the beautiful things about baking um, we are affected by technology we're affected by uh, demands of people uh, but the craft really hasn't changed. I would say our bakery is probably unique to most because we have scaled up. We have more ovens and we have more mixers and, and we have more people doing a lot of different things. Uh, so it's really just treating it that way, mm-hmm. uh, never forgetting what got you there, which is every single piece of bakery needs to be as good as it can be. I'm interested to know, uh, you didn't just get here. You, you talked about 
hitting some obstacles along the way. So specifically, what are some what, what what's a story that kind of frames up what you came up against and how you learned and, and helped you guys scale along the way? When I start when I joined a, a full time as a career of baking in our bakery family business, our bakery already had a mail order business. It was being done manually. Uh, it was pretty darn efficient. In fact, I was pretty impressed with it. Um, and and had, certainly I'd helped on it many, many times myself. But, um, but I felt like um, we needed to computerize. There's just no way we were going to be able to grow this mail order business for the future if we didn't computerize and computerize now. And we're talking early 1980s here. And this is a time when... Uh, going to Best Buy and buying a PC just wasn't possible. There was no such thing. My whole family was supportive of the idea, but they didn't know anything about it. So it was, it was my thing to champion. So I, I bought an IBM PC. You know, there was no such thing as canned software. You couldn't say, okay, I need to find a, a mail order system. You know, mm-hmm. there was no such thing. So I had to learn, actually, what does it mean? You know, data files and, uh, and processing data and giving customers choices of and the packaging of it and all that. So there was a lot to learn. I knew I wasn't going to learn it overnight. Um, but I got really big time when I bought my first hard drive. Well, that was like the size of a shoebox, this hard drive that I set next to this IBM PC. It was 10 megabytes of data that I could store in this hard drive. Wow, I thought we had hit the big time. That was almost as big as when we bought our first fax machine. So um, <laughs> what started in probably about 1983, we did not. we were not able to... Uh, run our mail order business year-round on a computer, I think until about 1989, maybe 1990. It was seven years of torture. It was because I would go to somebody that was selling computers and they would be, they would be telling every, every question I would ask them. They'd say, yes, it can do that. Yes, it can do that. And well, the bottom line is, yeah, maybe the computer could do it, but in reality it couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that was only a third of the challenge because we had to have software. We needed something to run a mail order system. Uh, So we were going through programmers. We'd have a programmer for a few months and sometimes they would tell me, well, I guess I can't do this. And I thought I could. So it'd be like three months just wasted. Uh, We'd go through a programmer who kept saying it was was working out and we'd kept paying them because they're hourly fees and you get to Christmas and it wouldn't work out. So we had kind of a half-created data processing system that would run our mail order business on a System 36. And we finally found a programmer that saved the day, got us through uh, that season in, uh, in somewhere around 1990. And we used them for about 15 years after that. To It's a homegrown. In other words, we, we absolutely wrote this software for ourselves, uh, ONH, and that's how we ran our mail order. We continue to run on that platform. Uh, we call it Thor now, as very Danish, uh, uh, Vikingish. That's uh, perfect. Yeah, and uh, Thor was winning, I guess you might say, for many, many years. But ONH has a better hand of him now, so he's very, very helpful. But it was a long, difficult road, and uh, but it was one that was really, really important for ONH, and, um, and it's it's really been um, uh, kind of a watershed moment or a watershed sure. period of our time in the history of ONH. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that we've talked about internally here at CCB is as we grow, we don't want to lose who we are. So if you could touch on uh, the customer that you were referencing before, uh, before we started recording and how maybe some of the things that we don't know of how you maintained that and how you were ready for when that opportunity came about. Yes. First of all, 
the uh, it's it is important that you need to know who you are. Um, but as a family-owned business, I think um, sometimes the mistake that gets made is is you think of it in the first person. Like mm-hmm. I know who I am, and I'm who I am. I'm not going to change. Well, you need you need to step away from who you are, um, and and you have to think about what is the company. Even though the company is represented by you, or you are represented by the company in many ways, it's it's kind of goes both ways. Um, the company lives on whether you're you're present or you're not present. So it's important that the company uh, has a personality, and and that uh, everybody that is part of your organization understands what that personality is. So and it, it could be as simple as you have a mission and a vision statement and and um, and then you have values that support it. Um, so those are really important, but essentially that's what you're trying to teach your the people that work at the business. It's um, that's really the foundation of the personality of the business. Also, um, I think important that you can't under communicate that with people um, and uh, with the people that work for you mm-hmm. or with you. Um, that's one of the most challenging parts of, of the business is is growing it so that it becomes an entity of its own mm-hmm. and that's supported by the daily support, uh, the daily um, culture of, of that company. And sometimes just making difficult decisions because mm-hmm. we want people that are happy in their work and they're passionate about their work and they enjoy their work and they support that personality or that culture of the business. As a business operator, you have to be willing to have uh, respectful but difficult conversations with people so that you can hopefully convert them to buy into your culture. And mm-hmm. um, if it can't work, well, then that's that's the hardest of all. Yeah. Okay, so um, who is the customer that we were talking about before we started recording? And outside of recognition and things that are kind of uh, at you know arm's length, easy to grab, what did that do uh, for this family-run business and uh, you maybe in particular? Our best customer in what we call our wholesale side of the business is uh, Trader Joe's. Uh, we started baking Kringle for Trader Joe's about five years ago. What they do is is they help us at ONH smooth out our seasonality. So essentially what we do with Trader Joe's is we bake Kringle when we have the ability to bake Kringle because we're in between holidays. Uh, for Trader Joe's, you know, they tell us what they want. They tell us when they want it. Um, but we essentially tell them this is when we have the capacity to bake for them. And um, it's it's pretty much as simple as that. And it's a wonderful um, relationship because their customers at Trader Joe's, they love our Kringle. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017 um, and then repeating in 2018, um, they do like a customer survey. What are your favorite products in all these departments? And for those two last two years, 17, 2017, 2018, uh, ONH's Almond Kringle has been chosen the most favorite bakery product out of Trader Joe's. Mm. Uh, so huge. That is huge. That's, yeah. Uh, my wife and I were there last night um, as a, you know, with four little ones. It's like our date night <laughs> to take a little trip to Trader Joe's and um, little hometown love when we can see it on the shelf on the side. And uh, being candid, um, I've never purchased a Kringle from Trader Joe's because I'm spoiled and I have it in Racine. So if I'm going to get it, I'm going to go to the source. But 
Uh, I do have friends uh, down in, well, I've got the relatives down in Texas, and I've got one of my best friends down in, uh, in Naples, and he was born and raised in Racine. Now he's down in Naples and can go to Trader Joe's and get one. But he does ask that when I visit him to bring some uh, different flavors and that down. But that's huge yeah. for you guys. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So been a great relationship. Uh, we, we like it a lot. They like, it, they like us a lot. So hopefully it will continue that's for awesome. years to come. Um, there is a sense of pride when hometown businesses succeed that way. Um, shifting gears a little bit as we start to, to wrap up a little bit, just thinking of leadership. You've mentioned several times different aspects of leadership. What are some things that come to mind when you think of the impact of leadership? Maybe some folks that have had influence on you um, and why are they the ones that kind of pop into your mind when you mm-hmm. think of their impact of, you know, on you and your leadership. Mm. Okay, I'll get emotional maybe because it was my dad that had the most influence on me in this area. My dad was wonderful with people. He's passed now. Um, and um, he, uh, he was really quite visionary in many ways. I, I've always credited my grandfather for starting the business. My father made the business. He taught, he taught me that uh, being honest and respectful is really, really important. And I think that if you can start with those two things and stay with it all the time, then it goes a long way. The way I always look at it is it's the kind of person I try to be, high integrity. You know, it's when, when I'm talking with somebody who had a, had a problem in, in, from our business, I'm the first one to say, yeah, we, we do have problems. Um, I want to find out what this problem is about and try to solve it and... Um, and I feel like I've taught a lot of people in our company to do the same. And the outcome is, I would say, almost always, almost always, that people love the conversation. They called frustrated and they appreciated the talk. And But it doesn't stop there. If you say you're going to do something, or you're going to follow up on something, or you're going to investigate something, do it. You know, don't, just don't make it lip service. Now, probably the most favorite quote of mine when it comes to um, my work is is from Dale Carnegie, who's who's a name that not many people know nowadays. You know, he goes back to the industrial area era of the United States. But you know, his is is one item that that uh, sticks with me. So successful people are those that have the ability to get things done. And um, what that's mean to me over the years is, don't look at something as an obstacle. Just look at the obstacle as a guide to what you're going to overcome. And um, it helps me to get motivated and not to feel defeated before I've even started, regardless of the situation. The other part that I think has served me well, I've noticed, again, our seasonal business, um, and I think most companies have a seasonal business. Um, I don't know if it's the same for other companies, but I notice that our best work typically comes when we're the busiest mm. and when we're challenged. And I think when we're, when we're challenged as individuals, we're more focused on what we need to get done, on the thing at hand. And when a business is challenged and they have people that truly support the business, they're doing their best work because they're more focused on the challenge at hand. And um, so we should always try to keep ourselves challenged and keep the people that we work with challenged. It doesn't mean that you never have time to enjoy, but, but to really have a focus on something that's, that's helping the organization 
and um, and then to to feel like there's going to be an end to it. It's not the daily mm-hmm. thing. You know, you have to have projects or your goals, things like that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'll tell my reps, there's a lot more at stake than us just selling some laptops. There's a lot more going on behind that. It's it, For us, it's it's a lot more than that. And I want to say the same to you. I, I can feel and sense and get from you. There is so much more at stake for you in this business than just what the end product is. So thank you for sharing that. Um, let's end on a, on a little bit of a lighter note. Um, out of all of the flavors that you have for Kringle, um, do you have a favorite? Is of there a favorite I kid? Do. <laughs> I do. I have a favorite. I've only had two favorite Kringle in my life. Can okay. you believe that? No, I can't. I, I always love cherry. Cherry Kringle was my favorite. We make our cherry Kringle from Door County cherries. You know, that's another great thing about ONH. Everything is made from scratch. Uh, again, something my dad started. And um, uh, to be able to, you know, go up to Door County, a wonderful place, and to walk through the orchard that they're growing the cherries for us. And uh, so cherry Kringle was my favorite until I had one day, I think I was about 14, and I had a slice of almond macaroon, which is it's a Kringle we make. It's 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 not the same as almond because we take and we make a, uh, it's almost like a cookie batter, an almond macaroon cookie. Let's say you have one, which is kind of a light, tender, almondy cookie. We make this batter and we put it on top of the Kringle before it bakes. So then during baking, it kind of puffs up and gets crunchy. And so there's no icing on it, but it's just... To me, it's incredible. It sounds fantastic. I and it's been my favorite for over 40 years. So I haven't tried that. I, I promise I will try that uh, one. No, well, you'll have wait. to because I brought one with today. <laughs> oh, that's one of the favorites? Oh, I didn't even see. I thought it was See, there's a method to my plan. I, see, okay. I didn't even see that. There. So uh, for those of you listening, there's two Kringles sitting on the table right here. My mouth is watering, as I'm sure yours are as well, listening in. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to have a new favorite after this. I was going to say yeah. my favorite up to this point has been a cup of coffee, with an almond kringle, but I think, you know. Try this almond macaroni. Oh, I'm you going to. You may like it, unless you just feel like you have to have icing on top. No, so, uh, no, no, no. Some I've... people are like that, and yeah. I get it. So the other kringle I brought today is called, we call a Wisconsin kringle. We started making this kringle when the Wisconsin state legislature voted and passed that the, the Wisconsin's official state pastry became kringle. Uh-huh. So O&H, in our infinite wisdom, I guess you might say, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the sure. back, but we really quite literally said, we have to celebrate this occasion. So it's a blend of cranberries and cherries laid on top of a layer of cream cheese. And the cream cheese is from, of course, Wisconsin as well. And it's very popular because, uh, uh, again, it goes back to you know gifting or if you're mm-hmm. heading out of town to Texas, like you yeah, do sometimes, exactly. you have to bring a Wisconsin Kringle for that to. reason. So uh, Yeah, tugging the heartstrings. So those of you listening in that are not in Wisconsin, you have no excuse to not go to the website because they ship them all over the place. Um, Eric, thank you so much for taking time. Again, thank you for time. Thank you for the stories. And more than that, uh, thank you for the history of, of carrying the history on of ONH and uh, helping convey to myself and to those that are listening in that there is so much more at stake than just, um, it's not just the bakery, it's, it's what it means, it's what it does, and it brings families together, and uh, you're a part of those stories. So thank you for that. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me, and 
Um, you know, being in business, being in the bakery business, it's a wonderful thing for me. I enjoy it immensely. And uh, uh, thanks for allowing me to share some of the stories Absolutely. today. All right. So I did try the almond macaroon. It is my new favorite. It is a great Kringle. And if you like coffee, a good cup of coffee with a slice of Kringle, can't beat it. Takeaway and action item. First of all, the takeaway. It was very refreshing to me to hear Eric say that you don't have to lose who you are as you grow, because that's where CCB is right now. We're in the process of growing, and we don't want to lose our culture, who we are as a people, who we've been for 28 years, and we want to grow, though. We want to hire more great people. We want to take on new customers, and so hearing that they've done it gives me hope that we can do it as well. So action item, what things in our roles as leaders should we buckle down on and stay focused and be refocused on it for even if it takes seven years like it did for Eric with the mail order business or side of his business. And before we close this thing out, some things from Eric's interview that we just listened to reminded me of an episode back on May 13th of this year entitled Servant Leadership. So I encourage you to go back, listen to that one with John Nelson because there's a lot of similarities, but two totally different industries between John Nelson and uh, Eric as a baker. And now the winner of the iPad Pro giveaway. Thank you, first of all, to everybody that engaged with us throughout the contest. It was a ton of fun, but the winner. Finally, let's get to it. Mr. Michael Hughes, congratulations, sir. You are the winner. I will be emailing you today as this episode is published to figure out where you want this thing shipped to. So Michael Hughes, congratulations. You'll hear from me if you haven't already by the time you listen to this. But congratulations, man. You won. And keep listening, keep engaging with us. Thank you for everybody that did enter the contest. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Next week, you're going to hear the third installment of Horrible Interviews, and it will be very entertaining. But until then, from all of us here at CCB Technology, thanks for listening. <laughs>